0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to History of the Bands. I'm your host, the human Google machine, Brandon Withers. I just want to take a moment to tell everybody thank you. Thank you for the listens. Thank you for the follows. It really has meant a lot to me. I have really have been working hard on this in my free time. And it's been very fun for me, and I hope it's fun for you listening and learning about these bands. So, we're on episode two, everybody. Let's get this started. On this episode, we're talking about the one and only Metallica. They were formed in 1981. In Los Angeles, California, they are the most influential hard rock, heavy metal band of all time. They have sold over 125 million albums worldwide. They rank at number 42 in 100 Greatest Artists of All Time and rank at number 5 in 100 Greatest Artists of Hard Rock. They have nine Grammys. They're also the 2009 inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They have 10 studio albums, which we will talk about in this episode. And they have EPs, live albums, and a total of 42 music videos online. They have two movies based around them. So guys, let's start this episode and talk about the current members. Hey, thought about starting your own podcast? Why don't you download the free app known as Anchor? That is what I'm using to do this podcast. It is the best app to use in this process. You can edit your podcast all on this app and then post it and it will put it on spotify for you it could also put it on apple music or wherever else you get your podcast again go to anchor let's start with james headfield born august 3rd 1963 to cynthia bassett and virgil lead headfield in downey california his mother was a light opera singer, and his father was a truck driver. He had two older half-brothers and a little sister. And in 1976, his parents would divorce. He was 13 around that time. He grew up in a very strict Christian belief, like Christian scientist, which I've never heard of that. And that's like a whole other podcast. But basically, his mom strongly disapproved of disapproved of medicine, and medical treatments. Even when she was on her deathbed with cancer, she refused medicine. His mother would die in 1979, when James was 16 years old. He then moved in with one of his half-brothers for the rest of his teen years. His love for music began early on. He took piano lessons, he played drums, and at the age of 14, he got his first guitar. So, I mean, very musically inclined. Aerosmith was his biggest influence. He said Joe Perry is the reason why he wanted to play the guitar. Now, to give more detail about him currently, he has been married since 1997, and he has three children. He has a love for sports and going to muscle show, or muscle show, (laughs) muscle car shows. Uh, He loves motorcycles, muscle cars, hot rods. Uh, I mean... He's really into that scene, which I am too. I enjoy all that myself. (laughs) Well, let's go on to the drummer, Lars Ulrich. Now, he's got an interesting story, but I'm going to try to shorten it up a little for you. He was born December 26, 1963, in Denmark. His parents are Lone and a tennis player named Torben Ulrich. His grandfather was also a tennis player named Ernie Ulrich. His grandmother, Ola Mayer, was from a Jewish family. And that is a whole story in itself because it's based around World War II. And his grandfather was trying to hide him. It is a very interesting read. I suggest you go into that. Um, so fast forward to 1973, his father actually got five tickets to go see Deep Purple in Copenhagen for him and his friends. Well, one of his friends like couldn't go. So he asked Lars, who was nine years old at the time to tag along. Lars was in awe of the band. The next day he had to go get Deep Purple's Fireball album. It was the big impact. In his life, he fell in love with music. And at the age of 12, his grandmother bought him his first drum set. So he would play drums. And then he was also a great tennis player. And in 1980, Lars moved to New- Newport Beach, California, where he was supposed to be training for tennis. But Lars had other ideas. So, currently, Lars has now been married three times, has three kids, very interested in the arts. So, he's just a very interesting person all around. Now, on to Kurt Hammett, the lead guitarist. Born November 18th, 1962, in San Francisco. He is the son of Toffolia and Dennis Hammett. His mother is Filipino, so that is why I messed up her name. (laughs) So I I apologize to her. He went to school in Richmond, California at D. Inez High School. So during his childhood, he sprained his arm after a fight with his sister. He was about like five at this time. So to keep them apart, his parents would like sit him in front of the TV Well. This began him falling in love with horror movies, which no five-year-old should be, you know, looking at that. But hey, to each their own. He loved scary movies. So roughly around the age of 15, he began learning about music like Hendrix, Zeppelin's, the UFOs. Uh, He started selling his like horror collection and buying records. After a while, he picked up the guitar, his first guitar, was a Montgomery Ward cat from or was from a Montgomery Ward catalog. He got a fender copy, which was like a knockoff. He customized it to help with his sound, but he ultimately ended up getting a flying fee. He became obsessed with playing. He also enjoys reading comics and surfing to um talk about his current stuff. He's been married twice and has two sons. Now on to the f- final member, the bassist, Robert Chirillo, born October twenty-third, nineteen sixty-four, in Santa Monica, California. He is of Mexican and Native American descent, which is really cool to me. <laughs> he grew up in Culver City, where his father was a teacher at the high school. Now, his interest in music came from his mother, who was big into soul music, like Marvin Gaye, James Brown, and Sly and the Family Stone. He was mesmerized by Jacko. To Robert, Jacko was funk, rock, and soul with an attitude of punk. At the age of 19, he went to jazz school, but had passions for metal and rock. Today, he is married with a son and a daughter. His son is also in a band with Slash's kid, which is really cool. I don't know if you guys ever heard them play, but they're really cool. So how the band came to be. In 1981, Lars had posted this ad in the L.A. newspaper, which read, Drummer looking for metal musicians. And then he listed off some band names like Iron Maiden. Well, James saw it and was like, Hey, I should try this. And he answered the ad, and he must have impressed Lars, because Lars recruited him to sing and play rhythm guitar. Lars had also convinced Brian Sagal of Metal Blade Records if he could record a song for the compilation album that they were making. The band was formed officially October 28, 1981. So how the name came about was Lars and a friend of his was brainstorming on names for their bands. And the two names that were up against each other was Metal Mania and Metallica. So Lars obviously chose Metallica. And then Dave Massane showed up answering that same ad. And he was like, look here, I got all this expensive gear and everything that you will need. And this impressed James and Lars. So they're like, hey, you're in. Well, they recorded the song for the compilation album in 1982. It was called Hit the Lights. So they wasn't a full band, so for the song, James actually played the bass, rhythm rhythm guitar, and sang for the song, proving to me just how awesome he is. Remember, he's musically inclined. So since they did the song for this compilation album, they had to do live shows. Well, James just had a buddy from a past band named Ron. So they decided to, you know, invite him to join the band. They spent 1982 practicing in Ron's parents' rental property. They also recorded their demo while there. So randomly one day, Lars and James was at a nightclub where they saw Cliff Burton playing with another band. Their minds were blown. I mean, his playing ability was on the next level. They basically knew at that moment that they needed Cliff in their band. So they went up to him and offered him the bassist spot, but Cliff actually declined it. James and Dave was wanting Cliff in the band so bad that they kicked Ron out and saying Ron couldn't contribute like Cliff could. Well, I guess I'd impress Cliff, and then they wore down Cliff. P- Cliff decided to join the band. So their first gig with Cliff was in March of 83. They recorded a new demo, as well as they were ready To start recording their first album but they had a problem metal blade could not cover the cost for them to record this album so they was looking for a record label they ended up meeting with a guy another promoter called Johnny Z well Johnny Z was trying to help them get a deal but it wasn't working So after a while, Johnny Z borrowed enough money to start his own label called Megaforce Records, and Metallica was the first band signed. So Metallica went up to New York to record their first album. It was originally going to be called Metal Up Your A-double-S. I'm going to try to keep it clean. I don't really like cussing a whole lot. It was produced by Paul Curio, Well, before they could even really record this first album, they had to let Dave Mustaine go. They had to fire him on the spot because of the drugs and alcohol and violent behavior that he kept showing. Well, the day they let him go, they replaced him with Kurt Hammett. So they began recording in May of 1983. But before I get into the making of the album, they had to change the name of the album due to the distributors, refusing to release the album. So they changed it to Kill em All. This album was a turning point for thrash metal due to the fast drums, low-tone chords, and the crazy lead guitar solos. I have to say, it was, in so, it was like so-in-your-face style of music. It was pretty awesome for that time frame. The album was released July 25th, Nineteen eighty-three. The track list is: Hit the Lights, The Four Horsemen, Motor Breath, Jump in the Fire, Pulling Teeth, Whiplash, Phenom Lord, No Remorse, Seek and Destroy, and Metal Militia. For a total length of fifty-one minutes and twenty seconds. Whiplash and Seek and Destroy was the standouts, in my opinion. The first time I heard Whiplash was from a Tony Hawk game. And Seek and Destroy, I mean, I heard it from WCW because for a brief time, there was a wrestler named Sting who was using it as his entrance music. So the tour was a few months. It was concluded in San Francisco. So I thought it was actually kind of funny that uh, James painted the note, like painted on the side of the bus, no life till Frisco. By the end of the tour, the album sold 60,000 copies worldwide, which is awesome considering how early the band was and the time frame. Now, the second album is called Ride the Lightning, released July twenty seventh, 1984 with Megaforce Records. The producer for this album is Fleming Resimison, they actually recorded this album in sweet silent studios in Copenhagen, Denmark. So I figured they did that due to like, you know, the roots that Lars has there since he's from there. Uh during the writing process, Cliff basically showed the rest of the band uh the basics of music theory. So Cliff had a lot more input in this album. It helped broaden the music from a fast pace to more of an acoustic, extended instrumental, and more harmonics. Cliff also really helped James with playing, and James became more aware lyric-wise. So basically, the lyrics were more ominous and had more of a philosophy approach to it. The track list for it is fight Fight Fire with Fire, Ride the Lightning, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Fade to Black, Trap Under Ice, Escape, Creeping Death, and The Call of Cthulhu. Total of eight tracks for a total length of 47 minutes and 26 seconds. So this album had three awesome songs, in my opinion, For Whom the Bell Tolls is probably my favorite. Um, Also, Fade to Black and Ride the Lightning are great. It actually only took three weeks to record this album. During the multiple tours, I just thought it was so funny that the band was such an in-your-face type people that they were doing a tour where they were in between Rat and Bon Jovi. So those are like two glam rock bands at that time. Well, James, at the start of their set walked up and said, if you came here to see spandex, eye makeup, and the word, oh baby, every effing song, this ain't your effing band. <laughs> I mean, that's just like raw and in your face. That's so much intensity. And I mean, it, they're still kind of in the same way today. Well, during the mini tours, they began working on their third album called Master of Puppets, released March 3rd, 1986, by Elektra Records, recorded in Denmark again with Fleming producing. So the sound was similar to Ride the Lightning, just more multi layer and refined. James' voice changed from a raspy yell to more of like an aggressive, like, deeper style the lyrics was about the consequences of oppression um feeling powerless uh, the track list is battery master of puppets the things that should not be welcome home disposable heroes leap Mas- or leper messiah Orin, and damage ink for a total length of 54 minutes and 47 seconds now, this album has some great jams on it. Battery and Master of Puppets are my favorite. Oren is actually the name of one of their music festivals that they do now. It, like, I think they started it doing it in 2013, if I remember right. Also, Master of Puppets has really like made them very popular in recent times due to a TV show on Netflix called Stranger Things. Now, Stranger Things, I mean, that's a cool show. If you ain't seen it, there's going to be some spoilers here, so just skip maybe the next 30 seconds. But there's this guy named Eddie and he was this like metal kid, they call him the freak D&D Dungeons and Dragons type guy. Well, anyway, he the town hated him and all. He didn't even do anything wrong. And so fast forward to the Master of Puppets part, uh, he had to distract all the you know Demogorgons and the flying little bat things. And so he was on top of the trailer in the Upside Down playing Master of Puppets. Well, now Master of Puppets is everywhere. <laughs> so anyway, that's just a short little brief summary of it. If you want to go see Stranger Things, get on Netflix and watch it. It's awesome. Well, let's get back into this. The band began touring in March of '86, being the opening act for Ozzy Osbourne, another great guy, another big influence to me. They toured with Ozzy from March to August. The band was really drinking during this time, so they earned the nickname "Alcoholica," which is, I mean, that's pretty kind of good play on words. There, even had shirts that says drink 'em all," which you know. Kill 'em all is the name of their first album. Uh well to be they started to do their European tour um in September. And uh this is where it gets sad, but sadly, uh the morning after a perfor- a performance on September twenty-sixth of nineteen eighty-six, the tour bus rolled off the roll the road and uh Cliff was thrown through the window and was killed instantly. Now there's theories to what it had happened. Uh, some believe that the driver fell asleep. Some believe that he was drunk. I mean, what do you guys think? I'll, I'll put a poll up on in Instagram. Um, I mean, it was very devastating. I mean, because Cliff really taught him a lot during that time. And... Um, I mean, the show must go on. They had to finish touring and promoting the album. So they came back to America and held auditions. Well, this is how they found Jason Newstead. Jason was the last in line in the auditions out of 50 bass guitarists. Now, Jason heard Metallica was going to tour with Ozzy again, and he got Metallica's set list. Well, he familiarized himself with it, and uh, he even announced to Lars that he actually knew all the songs and played them for him. Well, two days later, Metallica invited Jason back and announced that after careful thinking and speaking with Cliff's parents, who were present during the decision and telling uh, Jason that Jason was going to be the new bassist for the band, and they gave him the position, which, I mean, it was a great moment. Another little side note of something I had read here in my research, uh, Cliff's mother actually walked up and hugged uh, Jason and said, you are the one, which, I mean, that gives you goosebumps when you sit and think about it. Now on to the fourth album called And Justice For All, released September seventh, 1988 by Electra Records and produced by Fleming, Lars, and James. They kind of all worked on this. And the reason why Lars and James... <laughs> were involved a little more I think on this is because originally Fleming wasn't available so they hired a guy named Mike Clink but Clink was apparently a real problem so they eventually got Fleming to come in. Even though Clink's uh credited it for uh two drum tracks. But uh anyway, this album was more aggressive in the structure. The lyrics were based around politics and justice censorship and war now the um, track list is black It and justice for all eye on the beholder one the shortest straw harvester of sorrow the frayed ends of sanity to live is to die and dyer's eve for a total length of 65 minutes and 25 seconds now this is not one of my favorite albums Uh, To me, the best song on this album is one. Even Kurt noted that the songs were just way too long. So, now their fifth album is probably their most played album. It's a self-titled album, but everybody refers to it as the Black Album. It was released August twelfth, 1991 with Electro Records and uh, produced by Lars and James, but not with Fleming. This time it was with a producer named Bob Rock, who is another great producer. Uh, Bands that he has produced has been Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, Aerosmith, 311, The Offspring, and I mean, the list goes on and on and on. All those bands deserve an episode because, I mean, all of them are great. Anyway, this album was probably their best-selling album. Um. debuted at number one in 10 countries and it stayed in the top 10 for four weeks on the billboard uh the recording process was a lot different from my research that i've come up with uh bob actually wanted the band to be in a room together and jam and make music that way like record that way versus doing it individually and be like hey i'm gonna record a track here you come in and put your input so i mean it was different uh there was a lot of arguments uh, Bob even told James to write better lyrics, which, I mean, dude's got balls because James is a tall, scary dude if you ever seen him. Uh, I would not ever do that. Uh, the album was remixed three times, and the cost was over a million dollars. I mean, all the trouble bled over in Lars, Kurt, and Jason's personal life during all this recording process. And they ended up getting divorces from all their wives, which, I mean, that 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 just shows the dedication that they were, to this album, that they were bringing their work home. Uh, it sucks that they ended up, you know, getting divorces over it. Um, even though that they had all this trouble with Bob, the band would continue working with him for a few more albums. Now, the track list is Inner Sandman, Sad But True, Holier Than Thou, The Unforgiven, Wherever I May Roam, Don't Tread on Me, Through the Never, Nothing Else Matters, of Wolf and Man, The God That Failed, My Friend of Misery, and The Struggle Within. The total length of it is 62 minutes and 31 seconds. Now, this album, like I said, is just a major hit. I mean, Inner Sandman, Sad But True. The Unforgiven, Wherever I May Roam, and Nothing Else Matters. I mean, that is the best of all time. I mean, in my opinion, it's so good. Um, Inner Sandman, you know, of course, was probably my first song I ever heard from them. But as I got older, I mean, Wherever I May Roam, I mean, that's just like a very interesting track. And then The Unforgiven, I mean, it's just awesome all the way around to me. So, I mean, this album, like I said, is just amazing. I can see why it's their best-selling album. The sixth album is called Load, released June 4th, 1996 by Electro Records and produced by Bob Rock. This album got mixed reviews, but it did sell 680,000 copies within the first week. So, to me, that's like a big hit. I mean, that's a lot of money back in them days to me, but, you know, I don't know. Um... This album kind of transitioned from a thrash metal to more of a hard rock. Uh, Kurt experimented with like a blues sound. Lars kind of didn't do the whole speed style and slowed it down. The lyrics were like based around depression and death. Uh, James's mother and Cliff's death were a big part of that. Um, The track list is Ain't My uh, Witch, but with a B instead of a W. Again, I'm trying to keep it clean. Two by four. The house Jack built. Until it sleeps. King nothing. Hero of the day. Bleeding me. Cure. Poor twist at me. Wasting my hate. Mama said. Thorn within. Ronnie. And the outlaw thorn. For a total length of 78 minutes and 58 seconds. Now... This album's kind of like how uh, Injustice for All was for me. It just wasn't one of my favorites. Um, To me, the best song on it is King Nothing. Um, It was a really good song. I think that's actually my wife's favorite song from Metallica. So, I mean, that's awesome. So the seventh album is Reload. It's released November eighteenth, 1997 by Electro Records and produced by Bob Rock. So this album was actually intended to be a double album, but the band didn't really want to be in the studio for such a long period of time. Also, this is the first album that they actually had a guest singer. The track list is Fuel, The Memory Remains, which had a guest singer, uh, Devil's Dance, The Unforgiven Two, Better Than You, Slither, Carpet Denim Baby, Bad Seed, Where the Wild Things Are, Prince Charming, Low Man's Lyrics, Attitude, and Fixer for a total length of 76 minutes and 4 seconds. All the lyrics were written by James, like almost all the albums. Um, The album, to me, was a lot better than Load. Uh, So many great hits like Fuel, The Memory Remains, The Unforgiven Too, Better Than You, Where the Wild Things Are. Those are all my favorites from this one. Fuel Reminds Me of my career and it like amps me up just makes me want to just like if i'm behind the wheel just go as fast as possible um also the memory remains it's just an awesome riff i mean it gets stuck in your head every time you hear it the next album was a very different album uh sounded totally different also this is the first album that they didn't have a bassist Uh, jason actually quit the band uh, the reason why he quit it was he wanted to take a year-long break and he wanted to focus on a, his new band that he had been working on, like a side project. Well, James didn't want him to, and he rejected the idea to you know, do that because they were ready to record. Well, this just, I guess, upset it, Jay, uh, Jason. So Jason chose to quit. Uh, he was just ready to go. Uh, well, Metallica was ready to record their new album. The album was called St. Anger produced by Bob Rock and Bob Rock also played bass for this album. The album was released June 5th, 2003 by Electra Records. The album was actually filmed for a documentary. The, it's called Metallica, Some Kind of Monster. I highly recommend it. Um, I mean, if you really want a deep dive, go watch it. It's on Netflix. Uh, They break it down in like episode, but it's really two episodes, but it's really one movie. Um, It's basically a therapy session. Um, Goes in depth into their past with Dave Massain, um, the band itself. James went to rehab during this time. Um, Just really good documentary. So go watch it. Uh, this album was the first time James actually allowed the band to kind of contribute lyrically. Um, also, remember when I said James went to rehab? Well, when he returned from rehab, he wasn't even allowed to stay after 4 p.m. So he would have to get there in the morning, and they would have to like focus all their energy and record, because by 4 o'clock, he was out the door. Uh, It was part of the, you know, rehab and part of his, you know, recovery process. Uh, There was a lack of solos in this album, which really it wasn't needed for this album. Also, Lars didn't even use a snare drum. Uh, The drums just sounded totally different in this album. This album was basically a jam session. To me, it was uh, when they were recording. Well, towards the end of the um, the recording process, the band knew they needed to get a bassist. So they started doing auditions and tryouts. A lot of guys came in, and only one of them stuck out, Robert Torillo. He could play just like Cliff, I mean. He can play anything like he could and play in that, that speed. So they offered Robert a million dollars to join the band to show how serious they were. Uh, which Robert joined, you know, he accepted it and joined the band. The track list is Frantic, Saint Anger, Some Kind of Monster, Dirty Window, Invisible Kid, My World, Shoot Me Again, Sweet Amber, The Unnamed Feeling, Purified, and All Within My Hands for a total length of 75 minutes and 4 seconds. This is actually my first album I actually owned by Metallica. Uh, I didn't even know who they were at this time, which I know you can judge me now. Um, I remember um, a kid at school had said to me, you know, have you ever heard of Metallica? And I really hadn't. um, See, I was raised on Classic Rock, like I said. And uh, I I remember going home to my brother and asking him, had he heard of them. He said, stay away. That's bad. (laughs) But then you look at us today and we both listen to it all the time, Um, which, you know, after listening to this album, I just started really going back and studying them and listening to their older stuff and fell in love with them. The ninth album is called Death Magnetic, released September 12th, 2008 by Guess Who? Warner Brothers, and produced by good old Rick Rubin. This was the first album since Injustice for All that they didn't have Bob Rock producing them. So they started working on this in 2006 with Rubin. They really enjoyed Rubin's style of production. They had freedom to jam, and it was just a lot less pressure. Metallica said Ruben didn't want them to even record until all the songs were written and embedded into them. So when they were embedded in them, they can go on the day of recording and just knock them out. I really enjoyed the feel of this album. I mean, it was just like, it kind of reminded me of the Black album and it reminded me of Reload. It was just kind of had that nostalgia feel to it. Um, the track list is That Was Just Your Life The End of the Line Broken, Beaten, and Scarred The Day That Never Comes All Nightmare Long Uh, Sinodal I can't even say that word <laughs> I be- But I believe it kind of goes along with suicide <laughs> The Unforgiven Three The Judas Kiss Suicide and Redemption And My Apocalypse, for a total length of 74 minutes and 46 seconds. Again, this album is actually really good. I was unsure of Unforgiven 3, but it's really a good jam. Uh, Broken Beat and Scarred, The Day That Never Comes are great. All Nightmare Long, it's stuck in your head, and it's such a fast-paced song. Uh, I really recommend this one for you guys, so definitely go listen to it. Now on to their last album called Hardwired to Self-Destruct, released November 18, 2016, by end Recordings with producer Greg Fiddleman. This album sold 290,000 albums within the first week. They were going to have Ruben produce it originally. Um, Ruben even worked with them for a little while, but in 2012, Metallica left Warner Brothers to start their own label which was Blackened Recordings. Uh, So that's why Ruben didn't help him on this album. Also, Kurt did not give a lot of input on this album due to the fact that he lost his phone, which he had all his ideas in. He lost it in Copenhagen Airport, Um, which, I mean, it totally sucks, but, I mean, crap happens. Maybe he'll be able to give more input on the next album whenever that does come out. Uh, This album was also a double-disc album with a total of 12 songs altogether. The track list is Hardwired, At Last, Rise, Now That We're Dead, Moth Into Flame, Dream No More, Halo On Fire, Confusion, Man Unkind, Here Comes Revenge, Am I Savage, Murder One, and spit out the bone for a total length of 77 minutes and 42 seconds. Hey, you ever just want a sci-fi book read to you? Well, I suggest going over to Spotify, give a five-star review, and follow to JND Books. That's right, JND Books. You won't regret it. The band is now touring around the world, uh, working on new material. Some things I didn't mention in this podcast, they actually have a second movie called Through the Never, which is also on Netflix. It's a very interesting movie. Um, Basically, it's just like a live concert with a side story going on. There's also a non-studio album. Uh, it's called Garage Inc., which was very awesome. Uh, it was like, to me, it was just like a big jam session. There's a lot of covers and a lot of new material that was never heard. Um, it's two hours long. It just was never a studio album. but So I think you should totally listen to it. It's on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you get it. I really recommend it. Now, Metallica really influenced me in so many ways. Uh, Saint Anger just hooked me. And then I just went back and just listened and learned from everything. The riffs are just so amazing. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about them. I love how at their Hall of Fame induction, they had Cliff's parents there. Jason was even on stage playing with them. It shows the passion and love they have for each other, as well as the past members That they put their feelings aside and say, hey, you're part of this group. And, you know, to the parents, you know, your son is part of our group. We want you all here. And that shows such a, again, so much passion and love for each other and love for past members. So it's just amazing to see that. Now on to my last segment called My Top 5 Albums. Coming in at number five, Master of Puppets. Four, Death Magnetic. Three, Reload. Two, Saint Anger. And number one is The Black Album. Again, this is my opinion. So it is what it is. Well, this draws an end to episode two. I hope it's better than the last one. I hope you enjoyed it, too. Uh, I learned a lot on this episode. Uh, This was very interesting for me to do. Lars has a very interesting life. (laughs) <laughs> uh, anyway, next week, we're going to do our first request. The band topic will be about Journey. So, t- so stay tuned for the next episode. In the meantime, I hope all will be well. To get updates about the podcast, go to Instagram and follow at History of the Bands. And on Twitter at History OT Bands. Catch you next time.